What's up, everybody, and welcome to Blue Brothers 2. This time it's personal. I am your host, Brandon, and with me, as always, is Caleb. Caleb, how's it going? It is going. It's been a long time, man. Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah, because we were doing like two episodes a week, and now it's been like two weeks since we've even recorded together. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think the last Blue Brothers 2 we did was Christmas Vacation. Mm-hmm. Something like that. That sounds about right. Yeah, and then the last uh, thing after that was the episode after the Michigan game, and that's been a couple weeks. So, yeah. Um. So in the meantime, what have you been watching? Well, uh, since football has slowed down, I have definitely been watching more, and I actually don't have everything I watched. Um, I was thinking about going back and flipping through recently watched on Netflix to remember everything that I've watched, but I forgot to before I came down here. So I've got some of them, not all of them. I was kind of on a comedy hit. Um, cause my wife and I were watching comedians in cars, uh, getting coffee. And so yeah. there, I didn't realize how many episodes there were of that. Oh yeah. There's quite a few. Yeah. We finally got through and finished that whole thing. And then I was on a standup, uh, spree and so i've watched some <clears throat> eddie murphy um kevin hart um oh shoot what's his name uh shoot the super pale white guy jim gaffigan thank you no I, <laughs> yes yeah there we go i wanted to say galifianakis that uh, pocket uh, pocket I don't like that. <laughs> so so much great stuff. So I've been uh, watching stand-up in between. But I have watched two shows um, that I can remember off the top of my head. My wife and I are currently watching Cheers. Um, okay. I've actually never watched that show. To be <laughs> really? Honest. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, it was on TV maybe somewhere. And so I've watched, like, you know, 10 minutes an episode here and there. Um, but I've never watched a full episode and uh, whatnot. So she's watching through it. So when we're together, I catch it. And I, so I haven't seen everything, but I've been enjoying it. I mean, I had no, I could not have told you anything about the characters, about like how they act or anything, um, because I didn't know the show. I mean, I knew yeah. Sam was the main character. Um, but outside of that, I couldn't have told you like this person likes this person. This person hates this person. I couldn't have told you really anything. Yeah. So that's been interesting just to kind of see the actual dynamic of the show. And then the other show that I've watched, um, that I watched all the way through was the new Witcher series on Netflix. Okay. Yeah. I saw that on there. Yeah. So it's pretty good. I mean, it's a little bit confusing, um, because it's not chronological, there's uh they actually put out a kind of a roadmap of how the story goes in the episodes that they do and Mm -hmm. it's based off a video game which anybody who's familiar with the witcher um knows that already but so what they're what they kind of did is they set up the main plot of the story and while the main plot was being the foundation was being laid they were taking the main character and kind of uh, having you get to know him by all the what would be in a video game like side quests that he does, so like small storylines. Yeah. 
And so they did that at the same time while building the main plot. And so it was a little bit confusing, but at the end of it, if you don't take too long in between the episodes, if you watch all the way through it, it all comes together and makes sense. Um, but good uh, quality show, uh, good effects, good acting. Um, I hear a lot of people who enjoyed um, Games and Thrones. Game of Thrones. Well, game Games and Thrones. <laughs> game of Thrones. Uh, uh, really appreciate the show. So uh, if anybody listening enjoys that one and you haven't watched The Witcher, know nothing about it, it doesn't hurt to watch it. I've never played the games. And I'm watching yeah, me the, either. the show and I still enjoy it. So, Rock. Yeah. And it is very much like Game of, game of Thrones because it's like uh, it's got all sorts of different... Um, fighting uh relationships and things like that and you know what i'm getting at if i'm talking about game of thrones so yeah but what about you i know that you've got to be busy for the past two weeks from watching something yeah we've been watching uh kind of a wide variety of stuff uh and we went back and started watching some different seasons of married at first sight you ever hear that i don't think so it's a reality show that's on Lifetime. Oh, yes. Where, like, these relationship experts and, like, psychology experts uh, will take, like, a huge pool of people from, like, a major city that sign up. And they make usually, like, three to five couples. And these couples get married, like, at first sight. Like, they never see each other until the bride is walking down the aisle. And they are married for like eight weeks, I think, seven, eight weeks. And at the end of it, they have to decide if they're going to stay together or not. Is that like the allotted time that you can sign a, uh, an annulment or something, maybe? Uh, I'm not sure why they choose like eight weeks, but no, because they, they've said like multiple times, like it's a real marriage. And if they decide not to stay together, that's a real divorce. Oh. Interesting. And there's actually been a handful of them that have stayed together and like have kids and everything. Weird. Yeah, so like it works sometimes. And other times like the people just they do not mesh well. You know, even like because they have to fill like this long questionnaire to you know get like their personalities and their wants and needs and kind of things. Mm-hmm. So either, you know, they weren't answering truthfully or um you know, maybe just people just clash somehow, but it's yeah. kind of interesting. Um, you know, other than that, we've been watching. We went back and started watching New Girl again. Oh yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I mean that's always that's always a good show. Winston. Um, <laughs> yeah, Winston's my favorite. <laughs> but uh, and the last thing we've been watching was there's a, a Netflix documentary short series about. Um, the life of Aaron Hernandez. Oh, have yeah. you seen that on there? No, uh, I've heard people talking about it. Yeah, that was really good. And, you know, it just kind of talked about like his life and his upbringing and, um, you know, his life in football and then leading to the murder charges he faced, his time mm-hmm. in prison, and then, you know, his suicide in the aftermath of that. It's 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 pretty crazy. There's a lot of in depth, um, 
reporting and stuff and things you didn't know about the guy. It's it's really quite interesting. Hmm. Um, I know that you and your wife are kind of into the the whole true crime stuff, so you might yeah. want to check that out. That that was pretty good. Okay, so it was a series. Yeah, it's probably. I think it's like three or four episodes. Okay. That are maybe like forty-five minutes, something like that. Because mm. it only took us like a day and a half to watch it. Oh, okay. But yeah, other than that, I think that's pretty much it. Odds and ends of movies here and there, I guess. Yeah, I know I've got something else, but I'll figure it out by next week about Rock. what I watched. All right. Well, from there, I guess you want to take us into our first topic, which is, did you know? Alrighty then. Okay, we're here for the smarts and the farts. And the arts. <laughs> the arts. And anyone named Bart. Um, actually, uh, I kind of did that on purpose. Speaking of farts, ah, um, terrible, terrible transition there. <laughs> but I found this one uh, going through different random facts, and I got too much of a good laugh out of it. And I don't know why, just because it's a stupid topic. But um, did you know that before toilet paper was invented, Americans used to use corn cobs? <laughs> I actually heard that before. <laughs> oh, you have? Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, let's just say I'm happy that they created toilet paper <laughs> in my lifetime. Wow. Uh, that is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I've used some toilet paper before that felt like a corn cob. <laughs> some of that uh, stuff they had at Saginaw Valley was pretty rough. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then there's some toilet paper that's almost like it's not even there. I remember, um, I, I don't remember when it was. We've gone through a couple times where we've been like, okay, we need, a, we need to fix our budget. You know, we need to cut some corners. We need to like trim some things. And yeah. there was one time. That I was like, okay, let's try to use a cheaper toilet paper. Did that one time. And then I said, nope, that we're never going to sacrifice. Never that. again. <laughs> never yeah, again. I think we've all been there. Um, I think it's funny, too. Like, everybody has their own brand that they like. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, uh, I am I'm definitely an AngelSoft fan. Okay. Uh, it took me a second. I, I can always picture the packaging. Uh, it's... I'm pretty sure it's the quilted northern purple packaging, which is the like extra, I don't know, extra soft, whatever that they do with it. It's like not their generic one. Yeah. So every, every time I go, I, I know exactly where it is. I just see if they have one size of it, like because it comes in different package sizes. If mm -hmm. it's on sale, I grab that one. Otherwise, I grab the same size every time. So I don't even look at it anymore. <laughs> yeah, then we all got the the brands that we hate. Um, like Scott is terrible. I feel like, and you know, Cottonelle is just too puffy. I guess. Mm. Yeah, and it's they, not very strong. It's actually kind of funny. Um, at my old job, 
when we moved into a new building, because uh, we used to be in a building and our comp- uh, organization owned the whole entire building and then there were tenants inside of it. So we had multiple bathrooms and things like that. So they had like a mm-hmm. supplier. Then we moved into our own building. And so we only had like two restrooms in the whole building. Um, and so they started buying their own stuff through Sam's club. And I remember when we first moved into the building and they started trying different stuff, like the first brand, whatever it was that they got was like some of the best toilet paper ever. And then apparently <laughs> they found out or they decided that wasn't worth it in the budget. Cause I remember not too long before I was done there that they changed it. And I was just like, well, this sucks. Ruin. Oh, man. Um, yeah, we just spent like five minutes talking about toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know it's a good did you know topic. Exactly. Well, I guess <laughs> I guess from there we could move on to our main topic. Hey, everybody. This is Caleb from Blue Bros. Wanting to take a moment to talk to you real quick and tell you a little bit more about Anchor. You can download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm. This is a great place to host your podcast. We have been on different platforms before, and we have moved to Anchor, and we are super excited about this. It is such an easy way to do your podcast. You can do it from a computer. You can do it from a phone. All of it can be done for free. Learn more about what you can do with podcasting with Anchor today by downloading the Anchor app or going to anchor.fm to get started. And the main topic of the week is the 1986 movie, Rad, directed by Hal Needham. It is starring Bill Allen as Crew Jones, Talia Shire as Mrs. Jones, Lori Laughlin as Christian, Bart Connor as Bart Taylor, and Jack Wilson as Duke Best. Uh, The plot for the movie is the story of one young man, Crew Jones, who has the intensity and desire to win a BMX race called Hell Track. Hell Track. <laughs> I mean, you can't get really much more 80s than that. <laughs> it's like, what's what's cool at the moment? BMX bikes. All right, that's all we need for the movie. <laughs> well, you know what would make it more 80s? Mm. Send me an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what would make it more 80s? Tons of montages. And tons of 80s music. Yeah, if you're a fan of montages, then Rad is the movie for you. And that's just even how it starts out. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> the first thing was the opening scene with those guys doing tricks. And I was just like, I was like waiting for something to change. Like, but they kept the same view. And so some of the guys on the bikes would like go through the camera view, do a trick. And then they come back from the other side and they do a trick and they like, didn't even move the camera part of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
before we watch this movie, like I told you, you know, like I've only ever seen parts of this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've seen like reviews of it, heard reviews of it. And uh, actually the Goldbergs that I've talked about a lot on the show, uh, they did like their parody of it where the one brother was just obsessed with the movie. Nice. And want to do like all the crazy tricks and stuff. And like impress people with his BMX skills. <laughs> yeah, this is actually the first time I've seen this all the way through. So it was kind of a new experience for both of us. And it changed your and, life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that um, starting montage that you talked about, that's, that's pretty funny because, you know, some of these tricks are kind of cool. Other ones are just like, okay, these are probably some of the first tricks that somebody learned on a BMX bike. <laughs> You know, and be in like the mid '80s. You know, I can't imagine uh, BMX bike tricks were around much earlier than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, some of them really aren't that impressive. Others are kind of like, oh, that was pretty cool. And you know, it just gets you. It sets the tone for the movie, I guess. Like, this isn't a movie to be taken like seriously. It's just yeah. kind of for fun. Um. Mm. It's like it's just, it it makes me think of like if you were in the 80s and you were a kid that liked doing tricks on your bike and everything and you and your friends wanted to make a movie, a bike movie and you're a kid, this is kind of the movie that you would come up with with a couple of oh, yeah. features. Yeah, and it's there was a slew of these kind of movies back in the 80s. I mean, there was uh you know, you had skateboarding movies like Thrashin', and, you know, this was, like, the BMX movie. There was also BMX Bandits that has uh, Nicole Kidman in it <laughs> at, a, at a younger age. Uh, you know, there was some in the 90s, too, like Airborne. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's got uh, Jack Black and and Seth Green in it. I've seen Airbud. <laughs> Is that what close enough? Airbud Golden Receiver. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Kind of like, I guess it could get to be considered exploitation movies because, you know, they take like a popular topic and exploit it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just it's pretty much 80s in a nutshell. And it's funny because you move on from the the montage in the beginning with the credits to basically a montage to start the movie because you get the kids like delivering newspapers and you know, they're playing music during it. The kids are doing tricks on their bikes and you know, they're terrible at delivering the papers. Like they're throwing them uh, in bushes and the one part, like they deliver a newspaper to a seven (laughs) 11. Yeah. What is that about? Like (laughs) they only need one paper. Yeah, like, usually, you know, 7-Eleven's a place where you buy newspapers, mm-hmm. <laughs> not where you deliver them. And it's like, the owner doesn't live there. And I mean, if he wanted a newspaper, couldn't he just buy one from a store? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a lot of weird things that happens with that. Um, you know... I sent you that link to that review online that I found, and the one guy mentioned how the, the sky is red, and I noticed that too in one scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was shot like in dusk or dawn, but 
there's a there's a couple scenes where the sky is just like bright red. Yeah, I didn't notice that until that was pointed out. Yeah, and I mean great continuity. Um there's scenes where it's red and then it's like normal blue and it's <laughs> red and then it's normal blue. <laughs> yeah. Um the funny thing about this was I I feel so far removed from the 80s now because when I started watching the opening credit scene, I was just like, okay, what is a logical plot for for this story? Like I I know the race part and everything, but it's just like what's what's the other part of the plot? Like why does this kid ride a bike? What does he do? Like, what is going to be this part of the story? And so I was thinking about, I was just like, man, I cannot think of anything. And I felt like an idiot when they started delivering newspapers. Cause I was like, wow, I totally didn't, didn't even think about newspaper <laughs> delivery. Yeah. But I mean, other than the, the hell track race, there's really not another plot. No, like we really it, don't know why crew wants to, you know, what his, end game is like yeah he wants to win that race but does he want to be like a professional racer and do that for a living Mm -hmm. because really all he focuses on is that hell track race and that's yeah which which we see him find out about on his paper route because he like goes through this fence and it like flips up and when he comes through the other side he can see like the logos painted on it and it's you know you get some product placement placement in there you get 7-eleven and yeah this Coke. movie has a lot of product placement, mm-hmm. which is easy. But uh, yeah, no. It, well, I mean, I understand because what winds up going on uh, for a little bit later in the plot is that originally the race is for only um, professional uh, BMX riders. Yeah. But then uh, somebody is just kind of like, well, what about all the kids in town who want to be able to ride in their own backyard or whatever, or mm-hmm. however she put it? And then that caused the conversation to open it up uh, and say if somebody won, uh, wound up qualifying that wasn't a professional, that they would be allowed to race in the thing. So, uh, but he yeah, did. And the, the guy who like started the whole race thing is the, he's supposed to be the owner of Mongoose bikes, mm-hmm. you know, which are, which are real bicycles. And they were like a really popular brand, especially in the 80s. And, you know, I can remember a lot of my friends having them in the late 90s, early 2000s as well. But it, it just makes me laugh because, you know, that guy, so he starts the whole race and everything, but he also, like, slowly becomes, like, the main antagonist. Yeah. So, like, Mongoose sponsored the movie, but they're the bad guys? Yeah. <laughs> No, I that, I was confused by that too because I didn't realize that uh, Mongoose sponsored the movie until you sent me some of that in, uh, extra information afterwards, and I was just like, "Why?" Like I I that didn't that thought didn't even cross my mind. Like why would that Mongoose would um, sponsor it? Because it was just like there was. I, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be it wasn't the worst thing, but it's just like it doesn't put them in a positive light. No. No, not at all. Uh, yeah, it makes like the owner seem like he's a blackmailer and you know just like a straight jerk. Um, he talked about the the town meeting they had about it, and the woman that stands up and says that, and they're like discussing how 
oh, you could have like tryouts and, you know, local kids can come and run through some races and then whoever wins gets to be in the hell track race and with a chance to win $10,000 at a Corvette. It's like oh, the it was, guy it, he's the, talking to with about, huh? The qualifier was $10,000. The Corvette was with the actual race and yeah. wasn't it $100,000? Yeah. Or? So it's $10,000 for the person who qualifies. And yeah. if you win the hell track race, you get a hundred thousand and a Corvette. Yeah. And it's funny because like when they're discussing the $10,000 thing, like he's talking to his assistant and his assistant totally looks like Bernie from weekend at Bernie's. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I legit had to look it up on IMDb to make sure that wasn't him. Nice. <laughs> and it wasn't, but um, yeah, so we, we get that set. So, so obviously like just from like the first few minutes of the movie, we see that crew is like the most talented rider in the town. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got his friend that crashes a lot. I, I can't remember his name for the life of me. Oh, I can't either. Just call him Crash. Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, so basically, he he's going to try out for this this race and try to make the hell track race. Like he's about to determine on it. Um, but we get like a scene with his mom, who is played by Talia Shire. Probably best known as her her role as Adrian in the Rocky movies. Yo, Adrian! <laughs> and she basically plays Adrian in this movie because she like forbids him to race in this race because <laughs> he's got to take like his SATs or something the same day, and she's telling him like pretty much like crap it on his dream, like you're not going to do this. You're going to go to college. You're going to get a real job. And, you know, pretty much like she doesn't believe in him at all. And it just made me laugh. I was like, uh, you know, Adrian never seemed to believe in Rocky. Yeah. And she never wanted him to fight. Mm-hmm. Like, you have nothing to prove. Don't fight. You can't win all the time. <laughs> and it just, it just made me think of that. Like, is Talia Shire just like a bitch in every movie? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I forgot that uh, the timeline of movies and everything. And so just to put it in perspective, this came out after Rocky four. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely uh, she keeps that role going. Yeah, because I mean, it was definitely Rocky. Rocky three and four, where she was at like the top of, hey, you can't win. <laughs> like, I don't want you to fight kind of thing. You don't need to do this kind of thing. Uh, yeah, we you know we get to see that a little bit here too. Is um, Mrs. Jones? She never has a first name. She's just Mrs. Jones, <laughs> and her <laughs> role is relatively small. I mean, I would say she's probably the, the biggest name in this movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. But definitely at the time, but even like in hindsight now, I mean, you got Lori Laughlin as as Christian, but I'd still say that Talia Shire has had bigger roles than she has. Yeah, I mean, outside of uh, Full House for Lori, yeah, um, Talia has done more. I, um, yeah, now that you put in, yeah, she had a super tiny role. I, I guess I kind of didn't pay attention to how small it was. And she's such, uh, she's, well, I guess maybe it's kind of a another look back into the 80s. Like, she's so unconnected from her kids. Yeah. 
like they're gone all the time. She's working <laughs> most of the time. And then all of a sudden somehow he's in a race and all this other stuff, but she just like has no idea what's going on with her kids. Oh yeah. Yeah, most of the time it's it's you know, it's a typical eighties movie because you don't see the parents most of the time. Yeah. Uh the parents are just kinda there every once in a while when they need to be. Um, usually when they're trying to keep the main characters from doing something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know, shortly after this we you know, we see a little bit more about crew and he has a hard time from what I could tell is he has a hard time making jumps. Or is he just like trying to do a trick that he can't get right? Uh I feel like it's specifically the trick. Yeah, it's like he I don't know, was he trying to do like a backflip or something? Yeah, it was a backflip. And he's he's desperately trying to do it, he can't do it. His friends are telling him like, oh, you're never gonna be able to do this. See you later. Like, oh yeah, thanks for believing in your friend. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a short thing they show, and then you know, shortly after that, the pro riders start coming to town. And they have like a little parade for them, and this is where we meet like the other antagonist, who is Bart Taylor, mm-hmm. and he's supposed to be like the best racer in the world. I think he's like ranked first or something like that. And um, the owner of Mongoose Bikes, Duke Best. He like desperately wants Bart to win, you know, because he races for Mongoose. And he's like, if he wins, it's going to put his name on the map and we're going to be able to sell tons of merchandise. And they, you know, they made a sound that they already made merchandise. Yeah, Dude. like they had a whole bunch of it ready to go. It's like, okay, now we're going to be able to sell tons of this when you win because you're going to be a household name and like a hero to kids everywhere. And, you know, what I'm thinking is like, is they make this race sound like such a huge deal, but they're having it in such a tiny little town. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I don't know if they ever really say exactly where the town is. Like I know where it was filmed. Yeah. I don't know either. I was actually trying to think, uh, figure out what the name of the town was. And I don't know if I was able to look and find it. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what it is. Um, Cochrane. Uh, maybe that kind of sounds. It was filmed in Cochran and Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Those darn Canadians <laughs> making it so complicated. I, mean, I kind of wondered there for a little bit because, um, you know, you see some like pretty cool scenery, you know, some plains with some huge mountains in the background and everything. And I was just like, God, where is this at? So, you know, I had to look that up and find that out. Um, but, you know, it was during this parade where Crew not only meets Bart Taylor, or sees Bart Taylor and the twins Rex and Rod, <laughs> who, they might as well just be Chad and Chaz. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, I was going to say just something. Your stereotypical, this. like, douchey, arrogant twins, I guess. Yeah, the douche um, twins. Yeah, a couple pretty boys who are just, you know, completely full of themselves. You know, I mean, Bart Taylor, he's really full of himself as well. He was always walking around with these girls with huge blonde mall hair and, you know, wearing pretty much next to nothing at times, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, like t-shirts that are all cut up with like no bras under and everything. And I'm like, apparently that was a style in the eighties. I, I, 
<laughs> I don't know, because I've noticed in, like, Friday the 13th movies and stuff, too, that people are dressed similar. But, you know, along with those, the members of the Mongoose team, he also meets uh, Christian, who's played by Lori Laughlin. And she quickly becomes, like, his love interest. Uh, he becomes, like, upset, kind of obsessed with her, I guess, from a distance. Just, like, I guess, like, struck by her, I guess. Yeah, love at first sight. Yeah, and, man, so this movie was made in 1986, and, you know, Lori Laughlin really hasn't aged very much. No, not really. From what I've noticed, I mean, mean, she's been in a lot of legal trouble lately with the whole, um, you know, paying money to get her kids into college or something like that. Yeah. She's part of that whole thing with a couple other celebrities. But that's recently how she's been in the news. You know, obviously she became more known, you know, a few years after this for being in the the sitcom Full House as yeah. Aunt Becky. Um, that's probably where most people would recognize her. Yeah, two two years after this came out. Yeah. Um so, you know, <laughs> they get to meet each other at the that night after the um, parade, they have a dance. <laughs> and this is where the movie really, really sets itself above and reaches that level of, oh my God. <laughs> like, awesomely bad, I guess. Oh, man. You know, bef- we get to see, you know, Bart and Rex and Rod doing these, like, corny, like, 80s dances to some, like, terrible music. And, you know, you get the mall hair girls dancing around with, with Bart and everything. And Before there was grinding, there was whatever these guys did on the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Patrick Swayze, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but, yeah, just really awkward dancing. You know, really terrible clothes, too, because, like, the twin brothers are wearing, like, these weird like suits that look like they're it looked like they'd be in an 80s movie that's supposed to be set in the future yeah like a space <laughs> movie it looked like something yeah. out of um uh battle battlestar galactica the original tv show yeah <laughs> or something or like some ripoff a cheap ripoff of star wars like battle beyond the stars or something <laughs> like that huh. which is a real movie by the way <laughs> <laughs> nice i had no idea yeah um <laughs> But yeah, you know, shortly after that, we get probably one of the most notorious parts of this movie, I guess. We get what I, they refer the, to yes. as, as the, the BMX boogie. <laughs> <laughs> and it involves a crew and Christian. They bring their bikes out onto the dance floor. And they just basically start doing a bunch of tricks and riding past each other, looking at each other. Like they're dancing with their bikes and the real life song, send me an angel (laughs) comes on. And it's just, I don't know. This is another hilarious montage. Send me an angel. It's full, just 80s in a nutshell. <laughs> the full song, the full song, and uh, hate to disappoint anybody who has not seen the movie, 
Uh, Lori Lofnan does not really know how to ride a BMX bike <laughs> and do tricks because it is evident that she is not the one doing the tricks. Oh, I got I got a funny fact about that we'll get to at the end that you'll laugh at. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and um, if if it, so, the uh, I can't remember. I want to say the whole thing. Was the whole thing slow-mo? There, if the whole thing wasn't slow-mo, 90% of it was. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> you so, get some pretty ridiculous stuff. Like, crew jumps up and, like, rides on a balance beam that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, it's it's really bizarre, and I don't know. It's just one of those things that's, yeah, it's really corny and stupid, but it's, like, charming at the same time, and it's one of those things you'll only see in an 80s movie. Oh, for sure. I kind of... Uh, another thing, though, too, is I thought about after it was done, I was just like, I feel like if you saw that in real life without the slow motion, it would be so awful, terrible and awkward. <laughs> You'd be at that dance and everybody like clears the floor because there's these two lunatics coming in the bikes <laughs> and they're doing tricks and like looking at each other and they're like, what is going on right now? It's like, dude, I'm just at the dance and I want to hang out with this girl and you're totally <laughs> hogging the spotlight, man. This is totally my jam. <laughs> yeah, actually, I would uh, I would be a little bit uh, annoyed that somebody would be ruining the moment with that song. I I remember listening to that song on, uh, on a mixtape back in the day. <laughs> I actually really enjoy that song. It's it's kind of grown on me after like the first time I heard it. Um, there's like multiple mixes of it. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is probably my favorite. There, there's like two main ones because it came back out. They re-released it in like 91 or something. And it okay. became like a minor hit. But this is like the original. And the part that makes me laugh is that that cracking noise in the background. It sounds like somebody throwing up a baseball and hitting it with a wooden bat. <laughs> <laughs> I just really wonder like what is that instrument that just goes... So, you know, after that, uh, they get done with the dance. Everybody's, like, cheering and going crazy. And then, like, crew just takes off. Yeah. So he has, like, this this crazy long choreographed bicycle dance with this girl that he's obviously interested in. And she shows that she's interested in him. And when they get done, you know, they have, like, a moment with, like, chemistry and everything. And then he just takes off and doesn't say anything. It's re- It's really bizarre. Yeah, no no real explanation for that one. Yeah, and then like the next day it's almost like they act like nothing really happened. She just says something about it and he just kind of brushes it off. And then all of a sudden they're just like it's like they're dating. And they're riding their bikes around town and then they go through like this more montages where they're sliding down this big water slide that goes out into a river. Yes, and super... Which was mentioned earlier in the movie is butt sliding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was very awkward, too, because then they decided to take this advantage of the slow motion feature again. Yeah. And so they go down the slide once, and then they go down the slide again, slow motion, the whole way down. It yeah. wasn't just part of it was slow motion. They had to do the whole thing. <laughs> Oh, and what it reminded me of is like those uh like those pictures you get at like Cedar Point and stuff. <laughs> they take pictures of you when you're going by on like the roller coaster. Yeah. 
<laughs> like you ever see that one on Splash Mountain with the rock? No. Where like the rocks in, in the front of the log and he's like he's like yelling and doing like a double bicep flex in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. If nobody's ever seen that picture, look it up. It's pretty hilarious. Oh, let's check that out. All I have to say is how do we what? Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, how do we talk about montages and not mention the lumberyard scene? I, I realized that we passed that, but I was gonna bring it up later if we didn't get through it. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, I can't believe we skipped over that. But what were you gonna say? I was gonna say that scene did not do favors for Lori Laughlin. <laughs> it just did not it that that camera angle and everything. It, it's, it's like I can yeah. only imagine it's one of those things where like you do something, you know, every guy knows this. Every guy knows this. You take a picture of a girl or with a girl and they have to see it and they have to approve it. Mm-hmm. She would have if she had that authority, she would have done this over because it was it did not do her justice. Yeah, not flattering. And I mean Lori Laughlin is a very good looking woman. It just the scene does not do her any favors. <laughs> no. It was just like a oh man, I don't even know. Um you know, so from there we we finally get to like the qualifying. Um, I guess you know, you know, it gets to be. Isn't it like played on TV? Just the qualifying is on TV. I think the oh yeah, is it? No, I think it was yeah national. Maybe they said the qualifying was national, but it was definitely on their local TV. So. Yeah, and you know, Cruz doing his race and he's doing well, and they show Mrs. Jones watching it and she becomes angry because you know she had a talk with him. You know, you have to be taking your SATs and you're here doing this and um you know, crew races really well, he makes it through all the heats, it gets to the final, he wins the final, and he qualifies for Hell Track. Which I find weird because they have the track laid out for the qualifying, but like crews taking shortcuts and stuff. Yeah, I don't know enough with that on exactly how that works. I don't know if that goes that way in other BMX races. I'm assuming it's probably similar to motocross. I mean, BMX stands for bicycle motocross. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm assuming it's the same as other motocross where if you go off the track, you have to get right back on. Yeah. Like you can go off, you know, if you get bumped out, you can kind of cut a corner and get back in. Mm -hmm. But it seems like he's cutting quite a bit. Like there'd be like a, like a big curve, like a C shaped curve. And he's just going a straight line. (laughs) Yeah. It, I was kind of wondering that too. So I don't know. You know, it, it, through the, the racing scenes, we get some more awesome songs. Um, both of them are by John Farnham. And we get uh, Thunder in Your Heart is one of them. Yes. That, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's another song that's just 80s in a nutshell, but it's, I don't know, it's just a catchy song. And like, I have it on a playlist I've been listening to. It just gets stuck in my head. Nice. It, it is uh, he did, I think he did three songs from this movie. I can't remember what the third one is, but the second one, you know, there's Thunder in Your Heart and then there's uh, Break the Ice. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, both are just, you know, straight up montage songs. Oh, straight up 80s. Songs. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, crew wins, everybody's celebrating, and then his mom comes out, and everybody just, like, gets serious. And she's, you know, giving him the the hard time about his SATs, and he's like, this is an opportunity that I may never have. And, you know, nobody gets this opportunity. I had to, to jump on it to try to reach my dreams, and uh, I have to race this race because it's all, what I've always wanted to do. And I can take my SATs again in six months. So she agrees, like, that's okay. You can go ahead and do this. Like, why was it such a huge deal if he could just take his SATs six months later? There had to be another (laughs) part of the plot. Another part of conflict that was just quickly washed away. (laughs) And oh, by the way, Mom, I have (laughs) $10,000. Oh, yeah, by the way, you got ten grand for this. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, so, like, the next day, uh, Duke, he's he's irritated because Crew won that, and he's, you know, afraid that he can beat Bart Taylor, and he's not going to make all his money with the merchandise and, you know, him being the rider for Mongoose. So he tries to talk Crew into not racing and tries to buy him off. He's like, hey, if you don't race in this race, like you could be on Team Mongoose and you know, I'll pay you all this money and everything. And you know, crew basically tells him no. And then Duke just took takes like a complete 180 and just starts being a complete jerk to him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, here, I'm gonna buy you off. No. Well, you're a jerk. <laughs> just like <laughs> goes off on him. Then he said I was gonna like ruin him, and then they change all the rules on him. Um, yeah, that he's like, you got to raise all this money. You have to have a sponsor to race in this race. And crew goes and has like a hissy fit somewhere. And Christian goes after him and we get another montage. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, cause the first, the first step was you just have to have a sponsor. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, technically it's kind of like whatever anybody can do some kind of sponsorship or whatever. But then um, the second phase of them trying to keep him out was saying that they upped it and saying that the sponsor had to have a minimum of $50,000 in sales. Yeah. Now, time out right now. Because this is the biggest plot hole in the movie. <laughs> and I wanted to slap somebody in the face. Um <laughs> Because essentially what happens from here is, um, you know, of course, then crew really freaks out and he's like, you know, this is done, you know, can't can't get that much money and everything. So then there's another town meeting and everybody's (laughs) just like, this isn't fair. He's done so much. And this is, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity. And some of the people who were annoyed by crew before and his terrible delivery service thought that would be important to support him in this endeavor yeah um and so they they are working on raising the money and when they were trying to raise the money i was just like this is possibly the dumbest part of this movie (laughs) and it's just like all it says is that he needs a sponsor that has done fifty thousand dollars worth of sales so all they needed was one business owner in that podunkville little town 
that has sold $50,000 worth of product to say, hey, I'll be your sponsor. Nobody had to spend any money. Yeah. All the the person- restaurant that crew works at probably did that much in sales because it's yeah. the only restaurant in town. Exactly. Like, I mean, th- <laughs> there was that huge lumber yard too. So they had to make decent money. I mean, oh, yeah. something in that town has done more than $50,000 with the business. All that person had to do was say, put my name on his shirt. Boom, done. End of story. That's it. But instead, mm-hmm. they go around and they try to raise all the money. I'm just like, you guys don't like, <laughs> did the person, <laughs> the people putting together this movie, had to understand how sponsorships work. But like, there was thunder in their heart. <laughs> oh man, that just uh, that just really kind of blew my mind. I was just like, come on, come on. <laughs> oh gosh, so you know, after they raise the money, um, we see another scene of crew delivering newspapers, and he's doing it the right way now. <laughs> like he's landing them right on people's uh you know doorsteps and handed them to people that are right there and the old man that owns a store like he goes and hands him the newspaper and before he just like threw it to him and knocked his coffees out of his hand and all that stuff um and then he's like oh i beat my record <laughs> so like at the beginning of the movie, when he does this, his paper deliveries, like he talks about his record and he's like, I'll get it sometime. And it's like, so he does his job the right way this time and he beats his record. Apparently. Like if he's so worried about his record, why didn't he just do that to begin with? Yeah. Darn kids. So, you know, the reason they raised all the money was because Mr. Timmer pitches in the rest. He's the old man that owns a store that he threw the newspaper at, knocked his coffees out of his hands, and he kind of hassled him at the beginning of the movie. So he changes his mind on crew, and he agrees to, like, buy, like, a whole bunch of shirts or something from Rad Racing, which is crew's official, unofficial sponsor, because he, like, sponsors himself. It's it's really confusing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. basically, all they ever do is just selling T-shirts that are red and say "Rad Racing" on them in black. Um. So you know he's hoping that crew wins the race, and you know everybody from you know the hometown kid cheers everybody up, kind of thing. Um. So this is when we start like the Hell Track race, and. You know, they're showing, oh, it's such a exerting and dangerous track. There's people crashing left and right, and, you know, it's basically just a fight with with Bart and and crew the whole time. You know, we get some pretty cool, like, racing scenes in it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And we get our awesome 80s montage songs again. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, like, pretty much, like, the highlight of the movie, I would say. Yeah, because you know it's actually pretty like high paced or fast paced, and it's just high intensity, and you know you're actually really interested in what's going on, and it's entertaining. You know, I thought yeah. they did a pretty good job of of showing like the you know the gut wrenching um, 
stuff that's going on in the race, all the crazy jumps, all the quick turns, all the hazards and stuff they have to go around. Um, and there's one scene where we see Crew finally land his backflip. Yeah, which and, was completely unnecessary. Yeah, it was totally <laughs> unnecessary. And the only reason he did it is because he struggled with doing it earlier in the movie. So we yeah. could see him overcome all the odds. And there's like an announcer going on during the race. And Crew does <laughs> the backflip and the guy's like, oh my god, a backflip. Hulk Hogan, eat your heart out. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's the first thing to pop in my head when I said that. I was like, what? I was like, Hulk Hogan has never done a backflip in his entire life. <laughs> yeah, that did not make any sense. Even like back in his, you know, his heyday of the early, like the early to mid eighties, I don't think Hulkster could have done a backflip to save his life. <laughs> I mean, the dude was like 320 pounds and like six foot seven. I don't see too many guys that big doing backflips. <laughs> Plus, I wonder if, because you know when they made this movie and they referenced that, you know that WWF and Hulk Hogan weren't getting a dime from this movie. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, Hulk Hogan is a name. It's not like his... That's a It's a character. It's not a name. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that part just, you know, makes me laugh. And, you know, obviously, you know, like any under underdog movie... You know, crew pulls it out in the end and he wins. And, uh, you know, Bart Taylor gets second place. And, you know, Duke Best is all angry because Bart lost. And he's uh, kind of giving him the business on the, the side of the track, just yelling at him and kicking him off the team. And, oh, you're the worst ever. And then Bart has a change of heart in like the typical 80s fashion. And he comes over and congratulates crew and like on a great race. And, how talented he is and everything. And then they're like, Oh, you can join rad racing anytime. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's how the movie ends. Yes. I, I wanted to say that that's, that's it. That's how the movie ends. So this whole thing leads up to this race, which actually does a decent job as you were saying, mm-hmm. um, of being entertaining. And, uh, Bart actually winds up, uh, cause Duke wanted the twins to sabotage the race and take uh crew out. Yeah. But then, um, they got knocked out of the race. Actually, the twins did, and Bart had part to do with it. And he actually, at one point in the last lap, stops so Crew can catch up to him so that they can go head-to-head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Crew winds up beating him and so on and so forth. But, um, but yeah, so then the race ends. Duke gets mad. Bart goes over to uh, Crew and Christian and his friends and family and everything. And they talk about, I think it was actually his younger sister that said, uh, you know, oh, don't we have an opening on Rad Racing? And they're just yeah. like, oh, yeah, woohoo. And then they cheer. And then they uh, Bart holds up his bike and he and crew hold it up together. And that's the end of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. so abrupt, right <laughs> after the race is done. Like, this, whole, this is what the whole thing is about. And then there's just like, that's it. Done. Boom. You, you got what we were telling you there was no extra nothing it was just it was it i i i really kind of sat there for a second i was just like nothing else nothing else (laughs) well there is something else because how else are you going to end this movie but with a montage of bike tricks (laughs) (laughs) yes very true with i believe is it 
it's thunder in your heart that plays at the end, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Oh man. So <laughs> I don't really, I didn't put down any like favorite quotes, just some kind of things that I noticed in here. Um, you know, I told you, you know, right after I watched it, cause I watched it like a day or so before you did. I was just like, get ready. This movie is basically an hour and 31 minutes of BMX tricks and music. <laughs> basically. It's like a 31, an hour and 31 minute music video. But, you know, it's definitely a product of its time. And it just, I don't know. It's one of those things that just, it's charming, I guess, for what it is. I mean, mm. it's, it's by far, it's, I would, it's not a great movie, but it's not a bad movie. No, yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised when I watched it. And I was like, oh, you know, I mean, it's the 80s, so what do you expect? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those. It's definitely a seminal film from the 80s. Um, it, you know, I didn't mention product placement earlier. Uh, these were the main ones that I noticed. So 7-Eleven, obviously. Coke and Mongoose. But then Kicks cereal? Yeah, Did probably. You know like he pour, pours a bowl of cereal and like it's like they zoom in on the box while he's doing it. Yeah. This is what he eats, so you better get kicks. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, when was the last time you had a bowl of kicks? Oh my gosh. I don't even know. Nineteen ninety two? Something like that. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. I was like, they still make that stuff? <laughs> Oh gosh! Did it, was there any like funny things that stood out to you? Oh, I, I guess we got the montage in the, the lumberyard too. Yeah. Um. Funny parts. It just eighties uh, all around. I mean, I think going to the um, lumberyard scene would be decent to talk about because it's just kind of like the ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. Um, cause this is small town USA or well, no Canada. Yeah. <laughs> small um, town Alberta. <laughs> eh. Um, and they, uh, you can only imagine that they only have one active police officer and he spends time chasing crew and his friends through a lumber yard as they're doing tricks and crews on stacks of lumber, doing a bunch of different stuff and just, unnecessary and has nothing better to do <laughs> yeah and then it's just like he gives like a nod and smile like of approval after crew gets away from him and you know this cop i mean we feel like we have to mention he's kind of like if you took sergeant slaughter mixed him with the pringles guy and <laughs> uh jesse ventura <laughs> yeah that's what the cop reminded me of. He's got like this curly mustache. He's got a big, like strong chin, kind of a kind of a big guy. I'd say he's probably like six three, something like that. Yeah, kind did, of you, big, did you big burly guy? Did you look up who he is? Um, I looked up for his okay. name, but it didn't like ring a bell with me. Okay, uh, I'm a little bit surprised because here you got to hear a little bit of his backstory. So this is. Uh, he goes by, uh, he went by H.B. Haggerty. Uh, he mm-hmm. was at, his birth name was Donald J. Uh, Stanzuick. And uh, he played pro football 
for the Lions and Green Bay Packers. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah, and then he became a professional wrestler, <laughs> to which he changed his name to H H B Haggerty, and the H B stood for hard boiled. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's hilarious! Like, how did I not know that? I know I was on IMDb and I was just like clicking through it, and then I saw uh, I wanted to look up to see what else he did, uh, and he actually did a decent amount of stuff. Um, he actually was. Uh, it looks like he was in a movie with Jackie Chan at one point too, and a, a movie with uh, Andre the Giant. So just, he was uh, in the Muppet movie. Yes, I, and I don't know what he did with that. They said he's a lumberjack. Yeah, I don't remember the lumberjack, but this is the yeah, it's old. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, the old '79 Muppet movie. So, yeah, he he looks like he was in a lot of stuff, and he, you know, he probably played like the same character. Oh yeah, like the muscle guy. The the probably did the villain quite a few times. Yeah. But yeah, that whole scene at the sawmill or lumber yard or whatever the heck it is, it's just it's pretty hilarious because. It's completely pointless. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about a little bit about the movie. You know, it's not a bad movie. It's not necessarily a great movie. Um, but how did you feel about the acting? Um, mm, it was 80s acting. I would call it probably average 80s acting. I didn't think it was great. I was uh, decently surprised by how well Crew did for Crew not being a um, household name or whatever you want to call it. Because, um, yeah, you had Lori Laughlin in there who's talented and she did pretty well. And then you've got uh, Talia who did, I mean, did her small role, small part. Um, mm-hmm. Jack, uh, Jack Weston who played the Duke character did a really good job at being somebody you wanted to hate. And, uh, another character that people would recognize was the guy, uh, who went by Burton, who was like, um, a key person in the community or whatever. It was, uh, Ray Walston. It one if you saw him, you would recognize him. Uh, he's played in a ton of movies and I can't remember specifically which ones I was thinking he was from, but they, they did a pretty good job. Um, he was the, the teacher, um, a fast times at Ridgemont High. Okay, the really strict teacher that um, ate Spicoli's pizza. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I recognize him from. Nice. But yeah, I thought you know Bill Allen did a decent job as crew because you know I really never had much of like acting jobs before the movie or really after it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, in the last, in like the 2000s, he had a fair amount of roles. He was actually in an episode of Breaking Bad. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, you know, just odds and ends of stuff, just like small cameo roles. But, you know, obviously he can still find work, so he must be doing something right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I thought he did a decent job. You know, the rest of the, the crew did a pretty decent job for a, a lower budget movie. Um. You know, this wasn't a big success, uh, at least in the box office. Um, really, how this movie got known is from movie rentals, mm. and is you know, it was one of the 
one of the most popular movie rentals. Um, it cost eleven million dollars to make, and it only made two million in the box office. E. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, not like a box office. Um, not a box office hit. No, not not much of a box office uh, success or anything at all. So yeah, it, it quickly. Yeah, 1986, you know, it was released on for video rental, and it became a top 10 for two years in a row. Oh, wow. <clears throat> you know what remind, uh, You know who Crew reminded me of, though? Who? Uh, and part of this movie kind of made me think of was, um, oh, crap, I'm, I'm forgetting his name all of a sudden, but uh, The Karate Kid. Oh, Ralph Macchio? Yeah, Ralph Macchio. Thank you. <laughs> Um, for a couple reasons, one, he kind of looks like him, but then, I mean, it, you know, fits perfectly in that time period, but also, um, the whole, the whole end of the movie made me, um, think of the end of Karate Kid because it ended rather abruptly. And also it ended with the bad guy trying to be good, you know, and congratulate him. And I instantly thought of Karate Kid when this movie ended. Well, even like Bart Taylor and Johnny Lawrence, like look really similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, too. the guy who played Bart Taylor. I he didn't really he didn't really do much before this movie or after it. Um, he doesn't really have too many lines, and he, he's rather wooden in this movie. And you know, Karate Kid Billy Zabka as Johnny Lawrence is you know a much better actor. Yeah, but so. and I mean, Karate Kid is a much better movie than this movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would say Karate Kid is one of the top five eighties movies. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, definitely um, for sure. I was just like the feel and some of the elements made me think of that. So. Oh yeah, totally. Is you know, underdog sports movie. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, I guess I can get into like trivia and facts I had about this. All right. Um, so originally the movie was titled Balls Out. Which is funny because the t- the cop we talked about said to crew, he said, "Go balls out <laughs> before the race." Yeah, I so, thought that was corny. That's what they were going to call it. Um, Rad is a better title. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, so when it came time to film the hell track scenes, uh, it was the fall season, and people were asked to remove their jackets and make it look like summer, and the leaves on the trees were painted green. Oh my god. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> which is probably where a lot of that 11 million dollar budget came in Jeez. so I would have to say probably 5 million of that budget was probably spent on making that track <laughs> oh man I can't imagine yeah <laughs> it had to be and like all the time and all the people to employ to do it mm-hmm. but in order to look like his stunt double um, Eddie Fiola uh, Bill Allen had to dye his hair in this movie Bill Allen, uh, the stunt double, had to dye his hair. Uh, Crew Jones, the guy who played Crew, Bill Allen. Yeah, he had to dye his hair to look like his stunt double. Oh, which is hilarious because, like, why didn't they just do that the other way around? Yeah, maybe it was. <clears throat> so I'm guessing the guy had to have the stunt double had to have had or Crew had to originally have had lighter hair. I guess that's what I'm assuming. So maybe it was more difficult to get an accurate, you know, bleaching of the hair and 
Yeah, that could be. I guess. But a funny thing that you mentioned how um, Lori Laughlin obviously wasn't riding a bike in the movie. <laughs> yeah. She had the exact same stunt double as Bill Allen. <laughs> it was a guy named Eddie Fiola. Really? So he did both parts. <laughs> he just wore a wig when he rode a bike as her. That's funny. Which actually wasn't that obvious. Like, it was obvious that it wasn't Lori Laughlin. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think it was obvious that it was a guy. Um, I, I mean, guess if I watch was... closely now, I could probably figure it out. But yeah, I I was guessing that it was a guy uh, every time that I saw it. But I mean, I wasn't a hundred percent sure, and would have um, said no doubt. But I did. I kind of had that thought because every time she did anything on a bike, her outfit was very easily you know, something that a guy could wear and yeah, loose fitting. Yeah. So, um, so that, that kind of made me lean towards, I'm pretty sure that's guy doing her part. So. Yeah. Um, and actually Bill Allen performed one bike stunt in the film. It was when he rode through the fence on his paper route. Oh, really? <laughs> and, uh, but there was actually two guys with wires pulling up on the fence. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so during filming, none of the stunt riders were able to complete one entire lap of Hell Track. Like the race scenes were filmed one section at a time, uh, five times over before filming the next section. The footage of the complete Hell Track of the ra- like Hell Track race took two weeks to film. Like apparently that's how difficult the track was to compete or complete. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I I found that really interesting. You know, these professional riders going through there and they weren't even able to complete complete a lap through it. Uh, now I could totally understand the end of it. Uh, what was it? The elevated jump or whatever. Yeah, with that big wall. Yeah, I'm just like, you have that at the end. How in the world, especially by the third lap, is somebody going to be able to do that? Yeah. Um, it's funny, too, because I saw another thing about, about that race. So that wall, you know, they start off with that wall and they end with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the professional riders were even nervous to go down that because it was so steep. Yeah, I heard, I heard that one. Yeah. Um, and the last one I got, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that it was filmed in Cochrane and in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, the school that they they wrote in was a high school that was in Calgary. Nice, yeah. The infamous "Send Me an Angel" BMX boogie. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> the last little thing I got here before we get the grades is the reoccurring thing I've been doing, where I try to tie the movie back to Tom Hanks. Yes. Um, and it's my segment called "Hanks for Nothing." <laughs> <laughs> so a little more difficult this time but I was able to tie it to Tom Hanks as closely as I could so Bill Allen who played Crew had a role in an episode of Family Ties which was a show that had Tom Hanks as a small recurring role as Mrs. Keaton's brother 
Okay, were they in the uh, same episode they together? They weren't in the same episode, but they were on the same TV show in the same season, I believe. Okay, all right. That was basically the closest I could get. <laughs> Interesting. You thought I was going to be like, Tom Hanks tried out to be Crew Jones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Which would have been even more awesome. That would have been pretty awesome. <laughs> but yeah, now we can move into grades. Oh, hold on one second. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to share this because I feel like it's too good not to share. Um, on a couple versions of the cover of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, the I don't know the tagline or whatever you want to call it. You know, yeah. uh, I wanted to share. There were two different versions of it that I found, and I just felt like it was too eighties not to share. So. Uh, one says a hometown kid on his BMX against the best in the world at Hell Track. The heat is on. And then the other one, which the the image on this one is just totally hilarious because I feel it looks like something that every guy in their first graphic design class learning how to use Photoshop would come up with. <laughs> posterizing yes uh so on this one it says it's going to take a lot more than skill for crew jones to win the toughest bmx race in history dot 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 it's going to take a miracle (laughs) oh man yeah that cover you're talking about or that poster you're talking about looks like a trapper keeper (laughs) yeah it does neon colors just rough posterizing it's yeah it's hilarious and that's like the main poster for that movie yeah man if i was a designer back then i could have we could have been making bucks man oh yeah for sure but we would have had to deal with the archaic software they had (laughs) (laughs) but yeah um on to grades so you know like I always do, I look these up in this movie up in IMDb and in Rotten Tomatoes. And needless to say, I'm surprised with both of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in IMDb, did you look up the score? Yeah, I saw that one. Okay, yeah. So it got a 7 out of 10. Yeah, out of 4,639 votes. Yeah, that's crazy. I think they're all BMX writers. I'm thinking it's my old boss, Adam, that just went on there and voted like 4,000 times. <laughs> he used to love this movie. He loved this movie so much that he bought it. He bought a bootleg DVD of it because this movie has never been released on DVD or Blu-ray. Um, It's never been released on DVD? Never. Any DVD or Blu-ray that you see is bootleg. It's like a rip from a VHS or a laser disc. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see. Yeah, because yeah. I was looking around and uh, I saw on Amazon that there was uh, something at one point saying it was for sale. Yeah, those are um, just like VHS rips. Okay. So, you mean, I mean, I don't know. I felt like the video that that link that I found that you and I watched online was pretty good quality. Yeah, no, it was pretty good. It's like, you know, if that was on a DVD, I'd watch it. I wouldn't complain. Um, I'm not sure why this has never been had a, an official release. Like, I feel like it would sell pretty well because it has a pretty big following, obviously. Oh my gosh. I found another tagline. <laughs> what do you got? One kid, one dream, 
one chance to be the best, to be dot, 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 rad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. Dude, that could be like the tagline for any underdog sports movie from the 80s. Yeah. It could be like Youngblood or Vision Quest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Um, You know, so I talked about this having a big following. And the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is obvious of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a 91%. Mm-hmm. And 91. I... <laughs> well, that's probably because the only people who are watching it are specifically watching it on purpose because, yeah. it, because of what it is. Or they watched it, you know, as kids in the 80s. And then they rewatched it and they're like, oh, I love this movie. Kind of like, you know, we talked about like Ninja Turtles 2. It's not a good movie. It's yeah. it's not a great movie, but we love it. Yeah. <laughs> Homeward Bound, not a great movie, but we love it. <gasps> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> the Mighty Ducks movies. I mean, the first one's pretty good, but the second and third one, no. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a nostalgic thing. Um, and it doesn't have a critic score. Uh, Not enough votes, I guess, for a critic score. Wait, it doesn't have... I thought that everybody just was giving it 0%. No, I had a question mark. That's what it said. It was a question mark. Like There was no critic reviews of it. Mm. And um, so what would you give this movie out of five? Um, I, I would go with putting it at three out of five um you know not everybody's gonna enjoy watching it i wouldn't encourage it to everybody but if you want to enjoy the 80s and see a sports underdog movie that you are guaranteed to have never seen before this movie is for you (laughs) (laughs) exactly and you know this movie falls right by wheelhouse um you know i'm I would say a bigger fan of the eighties than you are. Um, you know, and I just, I love the corniness of the movies and the music in this movie is great. You know, the action scenes are really entertaining and you know, the whole plot of the movie is just absurd. Um, you know, I give it a four out of five, Mm. you know, like this is the first time I saw it. You know, I definitely watch it again. I probably will watch it again sometime. You know, I had a good time watching it. Um, but you know, it's not really, it's not something that like instantly connected with me. Like, you know, we talked about the karate kid. Yeah. Uh, the karate Kid's one of my favorite movies, but you know, this one's pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. And I, you know, I do agree that it, it deserves a DVD and Blu-ray release. Yeah. I, I could say that. Like, like the, there's it's... so many crappy movies on DVD and this one isn't, and I can't figure out why, like, is it maybe the director? Doesn't you know, want to release it. You know who to blame? <clears throat> Canada. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Canada and their bacon and maple syrup. <laughs> their bacon that's actually ham. <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious, but it's still ham. Yeah. <laughs> okay, enough ragged on Canada. Let's get to suggestions. Thank you. 
I just have one question. Yeah, yeah. How how much have you missed that? I have missed it. <laughs> because my two favorite parts are the ew and the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, so uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Since you did the did you know, it is my turn for suggestion. Um and it, you know it's a movie I watched recently and is an interesting concept and I enjoyed it. Uh, it was a movie yesterday. Have you heard of that one? It just came out like last year. No, I don't think uh, so. It's basically this Indian guy who is living in the UK uh, and he's a struggling musician. Uh, and one day he's on his way home on his bike and there's like a power outage that goes across the entire planet. And at that exact time, like all the street lights turn off and there's a car going by and he gets hit by the car on his bike. And he gets like injured. I'm not sure if he goes like into a coma for a little bit, but when he wakes up, like the world has changed, but he doesn't initially realize it. It's not until you know, he recovers and he starts hanging out with his friends and he's playing yesterday by the Beatles on his guitar and his friends are just like mesmerized with him. And when he gets done, they're like, wow, that was an amazing song. Like that's the best song you've ever written. And he's like, what are you talking about? And like, like, you wrote that, didn't you? And he's like, no, it's by the Beatles. And nobody knows what he's talking about. And they all think he's crazy. And when he gets home, like, he gets online and he Googles the Beatles. And it keeps coming up with, like, the insect. So, like, he wakes up in this world where the Beatles never existed. And only he remembers their songs. Interesting. So he goes off and he tries to like remember all the lyrics because you know he can't look it up, so yeah. he has to do it by memory. And like he did, any CDs he would have had with the Beatles on it are aren't there because the world had changed and nobody could help him. Yeah, so he has to like rewrite these songs by memory and remember like all the music by memory. And basically, he becomes like super famous, and you know he just like learns little things along the way, different things that are missing in the world like coca-cola doesn't exist either only pepsi does <laughs> and it's just little things like that um, yeah it was a really it was an enjoyable movie it was a, it was a good time i i bought it on black friday for like six dollars on dvd hmm. but yeah if you get a chance check that out it was it was really entertaining and you know the reason i bought it is because you know is basically centered around the Beatles, and my wife loves the Beatles. Mm. So, and I heard good things about it. But yeah, it was a it was a good movie. Yeah, I, I remember actually seeing previews uh, about this and everything, and the uh, I thought it was like that other movie where some guy was obsessed with uh, shoot, not was it Neil Diamond or. Um, oh bruce springsteen bruce springsteen yeah and i thought essentially it was the same thing except for with the beatles um so that's really interesting to hear the plot of that movie yeah it was a really interesting take um i can't remember who the the director is i could look it up here but there's just some kind of funny things in it like he starts singing hard day's night and somebody's like what does that mean he's like i don't know but that's the song (laughs) Oh, Danny Boyle's the director. Nice. 
Yeah, he did a lot of different movies. Oh um, my gosh, Train Spotting. 127 Hours. He did 28 Days Later, Slumdog Millionaire. So he's got a thing for people being knocked down, waking up. Yeah, Sunshine. That's another one he did. I know that was it you and Steve used to talk about that movie sometimes. Guy we used to work with. Oh, so, yeah. He definitely talked about more than I did because I think I saw yeah. it. But yeah, good movie. Um, yeah, check out yesterday if you if it comes on like streaming or something. Yeah, I'll have to keep my eyes out for that. But from there, we can move on to our outro, which we usually, you know, we do like a one liner here. We try to compete with each other. And dude, it was such a long time. I don't remember who went first. Do you? Oh gosh, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, I guess I'll go first. Okay. Uh, Mine is from a movie I have not seen in a long time, and it's um, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. Nice. <laughs> you know, a movie that almost everybody saw, but there's one scene in particular that always makes me laugh, and it's just, it's stupid. Um, so Austin and uh, Elizabeth Hurley's character, I can't remember her name. Oh gosh, I don't even know. Vanessa. They're like hiding in the bushes and they're spying on uh, number two. And, and uh, Austin's like, that's, he's like, yeah, that's number two. And that's Dr. Evil's cat, all right. And Vanessa's like, really? How can you tell? He's like, I never forget a pussy cat. <laughs> <laughs> he just like looks at her to like see her reaction. He's like, I never forget a pussy cat. <laughs> I don't know why, but that makes me laugh every single time I see that movie. The only uh, one that I remember very well was the last one, the gold, gold member oh, one. Gold member, yeah. yeah. I think I think the first one is probably the best. You know, I, the second one is really good too. Gold member was funny, but I feel like the first one's the best. I don't even remember the other two enough to be able to make a judgment call. <laughs> well, you need to go back and watch them then. <laughs> Well, it's kind of funny that you you pull yours from a series because mine comes from a comedy series as well. And uh, we're actually going to go one year before this fantastic BMX movie came out as we go back to the future. (laughs) And um, we get a great quote here from um, Biff himself. Uh, as he throws one of his insults at McFly, where he says, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? <laughs> I just always had an appreciation for that one because I remember watching that movie when I was a young kid and I that always just cracked me up as a kid. That makes me think of a classic um, Ricky from Trailer Park Boys quote. His was, why don't you make like a tree and F off? <laughs> but yeah that's our um one-liners of the week um have we even talked about what we're gonna do next week for a topic 
We might just have to come up with something on the fly. Yeah, we might have to. We, we've got a couple of um, topics kind of set aside, so uh, we'll be able to pull something. And, of course, as we've mentioned and everything, especially last week, what, what I mentioned in the short episode is that we're going to be something other than Blue Brothers 2, Blue Bros 2 at some point, um, and the podcast will have its own um, landing page site separate than the blue brother sports cast so keep that rock. in mind that will be happening soon i feel like rock needs to be involved in our name yeah i did too but and maybe that's part of the conversation that we have next week is maybe part of it is about like potential names or something but uh rock i don't want to get too confused with oh this is a podcast about rock and roll music or a podcast about Dwayne the rock johnson or a podcast about geology. <laughs> <laughs> geology Welcome to rock. fun with rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, we'll figure out something. Um, have a short conversation about the name and what we're going to call the show and everything from that point on. But until then, I am Brandon. He's Caleb, and this time is personal. 